Let's all stand to our feet, and we'll open up with uh, the chorus, I will enter his gates. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Amen. How many of you are thankful to be in the house of the Lord, house of the Lord this morning? Amen. All right. Well, welcome, welcome to each of you and uh, Grandma and Grandpa Esh. It's so good to have you back. So good. And uh, Phil and Katie, all were gone last week. We missed you, but we had a good service last Sunday. And uh, everyone else, so welcome. And uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we gather here this morning in this place to worship you, God, I just thank you for all that you have done, Lord. Thank you for delivering us from the evil one, Lord, for giving us your word. And Jesus, thank you for um, the work of salvation, Lord. And Lord, we're here to remember you this morning, uh, to hear from you, to worship and praise you together as your church, Lord, and to encourage one another. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign here this morning, Lord. God, that you would move in our midst and that you would draw us to you, Lord. Um, God, I just thank you so much for... The love that you give to us and Lord for redeeming us and God I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you in that way that doesn't know you as their Savior Lord I pray that you would um, that you would save their soul Lord and, and draw them to you Lord God we're here Lord not just to not just out of tradition Lord we're not here Lord just to because it's Sunday and it's the right thing to do but Lord we're here uh, to remember you Lord and to worship you to praise you Amen. To make your name known in all the earth, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
seated. I've been so thankful uh, this week for um, the Word of God and to think that we actually have the Bible, the written Word of God. Um, there's been, there was a long age, it's called the Dark Ages, where the Word of God wasn't available to people. Um, it was only written in the Latin and which was a language that was pretty much extinct, and it's a method that the, um, it was a method in Catholicism to keep the word hidden to the public so that they could um, dictate and, and tell them what they wanted and keep them under control. And so there was a lot of bloodshed and a lot of people who gave their lives to translate the word into the language that we have. And um, I was... Uh, listening to a, um, a video on YouTube where somebody was given all the history and it just made me like, wow, like we really have something to be thankful for. Um, does anyone have a testimony this morning? Anything the Lord's been doing in your life? And <laughs> uh, made it. His angels would camp around those who fear him, right? Well, we're so glad, so glad to have you back. We've missed you. But glad you had a good trip and were able to enjoy the sun and the warm, and you missed a cold snap here, that's for sure. Well, this next song is called I Go to the Rock, and I, I don't know, some of you may have heard it in the past, but it's a song that uh, I grew up singing, or I, I shouldn't say grew up singing, uh, but known for quite a long time, and um, 
It's a bit more of an upbeat song, so just sing along, and hopefully you'll get more familiar with it. We. go when there's no one else to turn to who do i talk to when there's no one wants to listen who do i lean on when there's no foundation stable i go to the rock i know he's able i go to the rock i go to the rock of my salvation i go to the stone that the builders rejected run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me the earth all around me, sinking sand, Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Where do I go when the storms of life are threatening? Who do I run to? When the winds of sorrow blow, is there refuge? In the time of tribulation, when my soul needs consolation, I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation, go to the stone that the builders rejected. Run to the mountain, and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around me sinking sand, Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation, go to the stone that the builders rejected. Run to the mountain, and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around me sinking sand, Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation, go to the stone that the builders rejected. Run to the mountain, and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around me sinking sand, Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from a raging sea and I am safe on the solid ground the Lord is my salvation I will not fear when darkness falls Strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save.
promise of his word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, times of
shining on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, so lift your voice, year up to believe, and out of Zion's will, salvation comes. And these are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David rebuilding the temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest. The fields are as wide in the world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion till salvation comes. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 Behold, He comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. So lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion's will, salvation comes. Behold, He comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, so lift your voice, it's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. Amen, that day's coming real soon. Amen, he's coming back. All right, we'll close with that. You can be seated. And um, kids, you want to come up and sing a couple songs? I didn't pick any out this morning, so you get to pick all of them. <laughs> all right, nothing wrong with that. You girls on the stand over here, you want to come out and hang out with Caden? There we go. song do you want to do, Tiffy? God's not dead. All right. God's not dead. No, he is alive. God's not dead. No, he is alive. God's not dead. No, he is alive. I feel him in my hands. 
feel them in my feet. I feel them in my heart. Thump, thump. Feel them in my soul. Woo! Feel him all over me. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no, he is alive. I feel him in my hands, I feel him in my feet, I feel him in my heart, thump, thump. Feel him in my soul, Woo. feel him all over me. Jesus loves me? All right, we can do that. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. If you want to do it, if you're happy and you know it, no. Yeah. Okay. What, Caden? Did you have a song you wanted to sing? Which one? Which Which one is it? your burdens. Okay. <laughs> Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. 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 Lower, 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 Satan, lower, lower. 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 Cast your burdens. Onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. 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 Lower, 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 Satan, lower, lower. 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 Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. 
higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Good job. Wrapped up, tied up? All right, we can do that. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side. Inside, outside, side to side. Inside, outside, side to side in God. I'm upright, downright. Living right in Jesus, I'm upright, downright. Living right in Jesus, I'm upright, downright. Living right in Jesus, I'm upright, downright. Living right, upright, downright. Living right, upright, downright. Living right in God. I'm inside, outside. Sorry, I messed up. Oh my goodness. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up, inside, outside, side to side, upright, downright, living right in God. Can we do it fast? Oh, I'm wrapped up, tied up. Tangled up in Jesus, I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus, I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus, I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up, inside, outside, side to side, upright, downright, living right in God. All right, let's give him a hand anyway. Good job. Okay, you want to do one more? No. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, dude, my God is so big. We can do that. There we go. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. He made the trees, he made the seas, he made the elephants too. 
My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Good job. You can be seated. Good morning. Good to have you all here on a sunshiny day. It looks like it might get nice and warm. It's a beautiful day, and hopefully the sun is shining in your hearts as well. Welcome back, Mama and Papa. Um, you've been welcomed multiple times, but uh, I'll welcome you again, and hopefully you uh, feel how much we love you guys and how much we love having you back. So. That's a blessing. Thank God for safe travels for you guys and others who are traveling. I believe Carrie's were leaving today, right? Coming on back. So they'll be back with us next Sunday. So uh, Jason and I won't have to work quite as hard to sing with the kids next Sunday. So, um, it's good to have Carrie's energy for that. And uh, others are traveling as well. So let's remember them in our prayers. And uh, let me see, what do we have for announcements today? Friday evening, I believe this is in your bulletins, that Friday evening, being the first Friday of the month, is our family night here at the church. Once again, John and Maggie host that here, and, and uh, everyone's welcome. Invite your friends, neighbors, for just a uh, informal night of fellowship and fun, and uh, bring along a tray of finger food to share. That is at 6.30 Friday evening. As usual, we have a meal planned after the service, so please stay for that. That's a great time of uh, continued fellowship after our service here today, so please stay for that. And a uh, special welcome to all you visitors, those watching online, it's good to see Cliff here again. Um, he, if you see him nodding off to sleep, it's because he was out uh, at 2.30 this morning uh, being of uh, service to his fellow man in his job, and we're grateful for that, Cliff, but I'm glad you made it. So welcome to all you visitors and those watching online. Let's give them a hand. like I'm missing something, but maybe I'll think of it later if I actually am. So before we uh, hand it over to Phil, let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer and ask for God to open up our hearts and our minds to his word today. Father, I thank you for this time here together. I thank you that we have this privilege to meet together in your name. Thank you that we have this freedom to do that, and I pray that that would continue and that we would be faithful in meeting together and encouraging each other and listening to your word and hearing from you. I pray that that would not just be a, a Sunday thing, but that would happen every day of our lives. So I pray that you would open the, your word to us this morning. Pray for Brother Phil as he speaks, that 
he would speak the truths that you lay on his heart and that we would be open to hear from you this morning. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, and uh, it was just a joy to see the Lord unite young people together again in a holy matrimony and establish a new home on the earth. And then on Sunday, we, uh, we had the blessed privilege of being with a small church in Muddy Pond, Tennessee. And uh, perhaps many of you don't know about this church, but it's a small church. They meet in a house. Uh, and it was a real joy. Jason, you and Laurie uh, have just blessed us uh, incredibly in leading us in, in praise and worship time. And they had a very similar experience there, a young couple, much like you guys, uh, just leading us in a praise and a worship time. And so I just want to bring greetings to you. Uh, they're one of the brothers who, who pastors there, Urban Bauman is his name. He and I have been fellowshipping together very closely. I've known each other for years. And uh, he's also a part of the, of the larger fellowship group of pastors and elders who uh, we fellowship with around the world. And um, it was just such a joy to, to go to Tennessee and experience the same God in fellowship with other believers that we experience here and individually in our homes and the Lord reminded me that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and everywhere, all across the world. On Friday night, um, I was blessed to join a Zoom meeting with numerous pastors from around the world in Australia and in Norway and uh, other places. And it was just such a joy, again, to fellowship around the center of our faith. Jesus Christ. And one of the things we fellowshiped and encouraged each other with was prayer. And I was, I was challenged and convicted in my own life that I need to strengthen this fellowship in Jesus Christ with believers in my life. And as we prayed together and shared together how universally the Lord has been laying on our hearts a sense that his return is very near. He's coming soon. And he's preparing a bride. And how is the Lord doing that in your life? How is he preparing you for his return? For that being, experience of being caught up in the air together with the saints and forever being with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's going to happen soon, for real. It will happen. He promised it. And Jesus said, when you see the fig tree budding with its fruit, and then he told us what that looks like. He said, then no, the end is near. And we're seeing it all around us. So open your eyes. The perplexity of the nations the 
earthquakes and pestilences and pandemics and all of these things that are going on, Jesus said, that's what would happen when we near the end. And so the Lord deeply encouraged all of us in our fellowship together to prepare our own hearts and to keep us in that state of preparation. And one of the ways that we encouraged each other as pastors was, let's continue to pray together. Let's do this more often. And I was reminded of a man named Thomas Kelly, who was a Quaker way back in the, I don't even know what year it was, a long time ago. And he wrote these words. He called it the gathered meeting and its importance to God's people. He said, when two or three are gathered together in our Lord's name, a quickening presence pervades us, breaking down some part of the special privacy and isolation of our individual lives and blending our spirits with a super individual life and power. A super individual. Did you get that? Now, you ladies might make smoothies. Maybe some of us men do too. What do you do? You take individual ingredients of fruit or whatever else you're putting in their proteins and you put it into what we call the blender, right? And you turn that on and they all get ground up together by a super power called electricity, right? And those fruits subject themselves to the power of the machine and are blended into one. They lose their individuality to become one in a supernatural kind of way. Well, that's a natural. Well, not really. Man came up with it. But this is what happens when God's people come together and pray. And that's how the Lord's been speaking to me. An object, dynamic presence enfolds us all. An objective, dynamic presence enfolds us all nourishes our souls, speaks glad, unutterable comfort within us, and quickens us in depths that have been slumbering. In the gathered meeting, the sense is present that a new life and power has entered our midst. And we not only know only that we stand erect in his presence, but also that others sitting with us are experiencing the same exaltation and access to this power. Again and again, this community of life and guidance from the presence in the midst is made clear by the way the spoken words uttered in the meeting join us to one another and to our inward thoughts. The experience has a knowledge quality. The covering of God in the gathered meeting carries with it the sense of insight or knowledge. We know him as we have not known him before. The secrets of this amazing world have been in some larger degree laid bare. We know life and the world and ourselves from within anew. And lo, there we have seen God. Have you experienced that? 
currently missing it in your life, let's pray together. That's where it happens. And so the Lord has been leading us, interestingly enough, in the last few weeks, a few of us brothers to come together on Saturday mornings here to pray. And I just want to thank you, brothers, for encouraging that, for requesting it. And it's been doing this to me as we come together here on Saturday mornings. And I just want to give a special invitation to all of you. It's not a secret and closed kind of meeting. It's, it's just kind of naturally happening. And the Lord is leading us there. But I just felt like the Lord, after our fellowship on Friday night and with, with the other pastors, and we were all encouraging each other, this is how we prepare ourselves for the day, is praying for each other fellowshipping together in the presence of God. And I want to extend that invitation to you. I'll be here every Saturday morning, Lord willing. If I'm not, we'll make a special announcement, but you're welcome. You're welcome to come. If you need this in your life, if you desire it, come and get it. It'll be here for you. The doors will be open on Saturday mornings at 7. For anyone, not just men, men and women, anyone of God's children desiring it. You may turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, we find Jesus engaged with sin and dealing with it. And this story is common throughout the world, but especially in the church. And yet, as I, again, in a fresh way, looked at this, did I tell you which chapter we're in? Thank you. Let me tell you. We are in John. Uh, let me find it. Chapter 7. 8. Chapter 8. John chapter 8. This story is probably one of the most common stories in the world about Jesus engaging sin and dealing with it. And yet, as I walked through this truth in my own life and examined my own heart, like James says, a man who takes the perfect law of liberty and looks intently into it is like a man looking in a mirror. You looked in a mirror this morning, anybody? Or this week? Do you look close? You shaved, maybe? Get those stubbles off your face or fixed your hair or dressed up? We look in the mirror. And then we go out through the day feeling good about ourselves, right? We know now how we look. A man who looks into the perfect law of liberty is like a man looking intently into the mirror. This book reflects your heart against the truth of Jesus Christ. Don't forget, James says, don't be like a man looking in the mirror and going away forgetting how you look. Because if you do, you'll deceive yourself. You'll deceive yourself. And dear friends and brothers and sisters, that's been me. So often I've done exactly that in my Christian life with Jesus Christ. 
looked in the word, said amen, and went about my busy day and forgot what I read, forgot how I looked in the mirror of Jesus Christ. And the Lord is convicting me about that. to Be more careful and not so forgetful because here's what happens when we forget. We forget and then we act out in the flesh. We react to people in our flesh in a forgetful way of who I am before God. And Jesus had some strong, strong warnings to us forgetful people. If you come into the presence of God and experience His forgiveness and then go out and find someone who has wronged you or wrongs you that day and treat him in an unforgiving way, your forgetfulness has hurt you more than anyone else. You're the one who suffers. Because God, the sins he doesn't remember and has chosen not to remember, remembers again. And you stand or walk through that day unforgiven. Unforgiven. You ever lived as an unforgiven person? Sure you have. We all have. We've done something wrong and knew it was wrong and haven't repented immediately from it and dealt with the guilt and tried to pretend it wasn't there and went about our work talking to people on the phone maybe or relating to our co-workers or relating to our children and our wives feeling condemned and knowing it's true. I'm in the wrong. We all have been there, right? And that life is the most miserable life to live on the earth. And you become the most miserable person to be around. An unforgiven person is the most miserable person on the earth. And the devil tops it. He'll show you what it's like to be an unforgiven person. He's one. He's the greatest one. And living an unforgiven life turns us into the devil. We live there long enough. So let's look at this truth. Looking intently into the mirror this morning. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, John 8, verse 1. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, having set her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. It wasn't just an accusation. She was seen. She was caught. It's true. No argument. She's guilty. Now, in the law of Moses, 
In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And, Jesus, and she said, No one, Lord. And, she, and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Do you have this light of life? Are you walking in this experience with Jesus Christ? And not only you experiencing it, but you sharing it with others. This same experience. So let's look closely at what just happened here to Jesus. The woman was caught in sin, and according to Deuteronomy, and also recorded in Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 22, this was the law God had spoken to Israel. The Pharisees were not doing anything wrong. They were obeying the law. If a woman was caught in adultery, she was to be taken and stoned. That's it. No mercy was to be shown at all so that sin would be cleansed from Israel, the sin of adultery especially. The Lord knew how grievous this sin would be in his nation, in the nation of Israel, and what it would do to them and to their home life and to their personal relationships and how ineffective it would make them to their communities. And so the Lord was very, God was very jealous over these relationships. And so he dealt with it just like that. Sin must bring death. The soul that sins, it must die. That was the law of God. Jesus knew this law well. And they knew he knew. And they were going to test him. Was Jesus going to break the law of Moses? What was he going to do with this woman? And Jesus knew what they really wanted to do was to kill him. And if he would give them grounds for breaking the law of Moses, they would have the grounds to kill him. This was a very 
testing moment for Jesus. He knew it. So what does Jesus do? Jesus does not break the law of Moses. He does not give them what they wanted to catch him and kill him for. But what? How does he relate to the sin? Does he just ignore it and walk away quietly because he knew what they were up to? No. How does Jesus relate to this, both the law and the sin, and yet redeem the sinner? Look closely. Because if you miss this in your life, you'll miss Jesus. You might walk perfectly according to the law of God, but you'll miss Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I have not come to abolish the law. Not even one jot or tittle. No little part of that will I abolish. But I came to fulfill the law, to fill it up, to let, to bring the law to its fullest purpose. And what was the purpose of the law? Paul said in Romans, it was to show us our sin. The law is good. The law is righteous. But before the law came, I could sin and not worry about it. But when the law came, I had a knowledge of the law, I became guilty before God. Now Jesus is dealing with a guilty sinner before God. What's he going to do? How is he going to not break God's law and make it void, but fulfill it? The beautiful example is right here in front of us. And Jesus did exactly what James told us that we should do, and that Jesus does. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he becomes guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so what Jesus was doing and revealing to these people is, 
the true character of God. The very reason for the law was not to condemn people. It was to set forth the righteousness of God before people so we could see ourselves as sinners and be redeemed, be rescued from our sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus wasn't voiding the law. He simply took James, that truth, and he laid it out in front of the accusers. And he said, okay, anyone who is without any sin in their life, you be the first to judge. You see, what Jesus did is he took the judgment out of the hands of sinners and put it into the hands of a righteous God. That's what he did. And that's still what he does, dear brother, sister, in our life. We are just like them by nature. Even as God's children, we quickly judge. It happens naturally. Very quickly, right? When you see someone doing something that you don't do, we very quickly speak judgment towards that person, maybe to someone else, or even to their face. But what Jesus did in rescuing this woman, and yet not abolishing the law, because God is a just God, and God must judge sin or he would be unjust. It would be unrighteous for God to ignore sin. It would have been wrong and unrighteous and against the very character of God for Jesus to know they were testing him and quietly just walk away. He came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. But how does Jesus do that in your life and in my life? Judge the sin, but rescue the sinner. He does it with another law. He fulfills the law of judgment. Doesn't void it, but he engages another law of God called mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment and therefore doesn't void and ignore the sin. It engages it, it deals with it, but it rescues the sinner. And that's how Jesus dealt with it. But for Jesus to effectively do this in our lives, this same truth must happen to us. We must let Jesus take the judgment out of our own hands, out from our own lips, and give it to God. And then mercy triumphs over judgment in our lives. Dear brother, sister, dear friend, have you experienced Jesus this way in your life? If you haven't, then you need rescuing from sin. You need to be rescued from judgment, the sin that they were committing. What sin were the scribes and Pharisees in? the sin of taking judgment
into their own hands without mercy. You see, the law of God, like this is recorded to us in Micah chapter 6. You may be familiar with these words. Micah chapter 6, verse 6. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself down before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearly calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, but to do justice, to love mercy or kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice and mercy do not contradict each other. They go hand in hand in God's hands. They are not contradictory. But if you don't understand this truth in your own life, you will be at best a good Pharisee trying to please God and appease God for your sin, for your mistakes, by doing good. And so when you make a mistake, you try to repay that mistake. You try to over, overcome it by doing good, more good than what you sin. And so when you fail, your immediate response is, you might say, oh Lord, please forgive me, but now you set out on ways to overcome it with good. Instead of, Finding mercy, triumphing over sin in your life. Mercy itself, that act of God, justly triumphs over sin. And that's how God rescues the sinner from its sin. Convicts the sin, but righteously showing mercy called forgiveness triumphs over the sin and redeems and rescues the sinner. Jesus spoke of this over and over again. In Matthew chapter 5, he begins this sermon that, again, is heard all over the world, probably, in many parts of the world, and is very familiar. But I wonder how familiar this truth is in your everyday life. Is it one you exercise daily in? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, verse 7, are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Does mercy triumph, overcome, Sin done against you? It does if this is how you overcome sin in your own life. First, you must receive mercy. You must be the woman and experience Jesus like she did. Or you will be the Pharisee 
You can't be something in between. Either we are take the position and our hearts are filled with the righteousness of the Pharisees or our hearts and our lives are filled with the mercy shown to the woman. Either we're the woman or the Pharisee in life. Which one are you? Are you one that's throwing stones? You find yourself throwing stones naturally, judging everybody you see? Naturally, your wife is regularly the object of your judgment. Your children you deal with righteously. It's not wrong. You're not tolerating sin in your life. No, you deal with it. But you show no mercy. It's not with mercy. You deal with it with righteous judgment. Or are you one who has received mercy and therefore has the right to show mercy and in your life relationships? Mercy is triumphing. That means it is victorious over the judgment. It overcomes the judgment of your heart towards others. Not ignoring, overcoming. There's a big difference, brother and sister. There's a big difference. You see, what Satan wants us to do is convince us that showing mercy is ignoring. It's just turning another, you know, a blind eye to it. It's just not talking about it. It's just not saying anything. It's just letting everything go. It's all okay. It's not okay. Don't ever say to someone who has sinned against you or to someone else and you're a witness of it, it's okay. We say that, you know, and words have power. And, but sin is never okay in the presence of God. God never says, it's okay that you sin against your fellow human being or against me. It's not okay. Confront it. And then let mercy triumph over it. And so the right way, the Jesus way of dealing with sin in my own life is coming to this perfect law of liberty and let it examine me as it says in John 16 the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment let it exercise all three of that convict me of sin show me God's righteousness bring it into judgment and then then find forgiveness because you see without walking it through that way we are never truly forgiven. And without engaging each other this way, we never truly forgive one another. If I just say, it's okay, I miss the opportunity to forgive you. To let you acknowledge your sin and me acknowledge it, confront it, but then forgive. And mercy triumph over the judgment. That's why Jesus said in Luke 17, if you see your brother sin, confront him. If your child sins, parent, confront the sin. But if they repent, forgive them. Forgive them. So this con confronting sin is what Jesus did, but then he triumphed over it through the power of forgiveness. And Jesus was the first human being to have the authority to forgive sins.
that walked on the earth. Before this, no one else had that authority. Now, people could have their sins forgiven by bringing the sacrifices. But God was speaking of a greater sacrifice in Micah 6 that was coming, that men weren't going to relate to him like this anymore, bringing sacrifices for their sins. He was speaking of experiencing mercy. The mercy of God is the very character of who God is. God is love. And if you miss that character of Jesus in your everyday relationships, first of all, your relationship with God, and then your everyday relationships with each other, brother, sister, you will miss Jesus. You can have the whole law, but you'll miss Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. They shall experience mercy. They shall receive it. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus gives us this instruction. And you know what is, is amazing to me? Really astonishing. Is how many years I walked as a Christian and took these words of Jesus as a, kind of like a parable, a nice story, or as a, as a standard that he sets forth for us, but, you know, we strive to get there, but who does it, really? Who lives like that, really? You know what's shocking to me? Pastors today, just not long ago, a pastor of a large church who preaches regularly and teaches them the Word of God, you know what he said? We were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and in Luke 6. And he says, that's kind of like an allegory that Jesus was talking about. Who really lives like that anyway? And I stopped and I thought, who does? It really pierced my heart. Who does live like this? pretty rare in the church, isn't it? It's so rare that when it happens, those who live like this, they are the light of life. That's what Jesus said. He, he continues to go and say, he who believes in me is the light of life. In Matthew chapter 5, after Jesus talks about judgment and mercy, he said, you are the light of the world. In Luke, Luke chapter 6. I will begin reading. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, take your shirt off and offer that to him as well. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. 
And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Is that just a good goal to live for you? Or is it, are you living it? Are you experiencing the power of these words in your everyday life? Taking the words of Jesus seriously. If you do, Jesus says, You're, you will be, you are the light of the world. You become the light of life. This is what life is supposed to look like. And it will give light, the light of Jesus Christ in the darkness of sin all around you. It will give the light and the life of Jesus Christ in the darkness of sin in your own heart. If this is how you experience Jesus, and when you share Jesus this way, it will give the light of the life of Jesus Christ and shine it into their sinful hearts, their sinful lives. And this is how the sinner is redeemed. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus spoke of this principle of how he related to the sinful people around him. Verse 9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to them, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with all these sinners and tax collectors? Why is your teacher doing that? Are you there with him? Or are you too good for that? Too righteous? Jesus wasn't gathering taxes and cheating people. Jesus was not a sinner. Don't get the two confused. I heard Christians say to me, oh, Jesus sat and ate with the tax collectors and the, and the sinners, so 
I'm going to go to the bar and have a beer too. What's wrong with that? That's what Jesus did. That's how I can preach the gospel. Really? Jesus was not getting drunk. Jesus was there to rescue sinners intently for a purpose, for this purpose. When they heard this, he said, but when he heard this, he said, it is not for those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Desires compassion flowing from his people rather than sacrifice. And see, the, here's the difference. Sacrifice makes me feel good. It's about what I am doing for him. And that's how a lot of people fast. It gives you the honor of men when you do something sacrificially for others. You know what's very interesting to me? There are three things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and again here, that his disciples will do in their fellowship with him. Three secret things. First of all, their fellowship with him praying is a secret. Are you experiencing that secret? Or is that fellowship well known to everyone? Oh, that brother, she, he prays, gets up in the morning, 4 o'clock, prays till 8 o'clock every day. Oh, that lady, she's a prayer warrior. Let me tell you how, how are people hearing of this? I tell you, you know what really grips my heart? And I don't say this in judgment, just to shine the light of Jesus Christ on our lives, for us to examine us. Many preachers stand in the pulpit and tell you how many hours they pray. And when you fast, Jesus said, wash your face. Don't let anyone know you're fasting. Do it as unto God. And ironically, Jesus goes right into this and talks about fasting right here. Putting a new wine into new wineskins, a new relationship, a new truth must form a new relationship with Jesus. It must be poured into that experience. Or you'll try to experience God in your same old way and take a new truth into that same old way. And I tell you, it'll rip you apart. It'll burst at the seams. And you'll be discouraged because it won't work. But if you begin to pray secretly and you share your money secretly, the giving of alms, you help other people. Praying, helping, and fasting should be three secrets. A relationship of those three things that I do with God are none of your business. No ones. They're my secret with God alone. Are they a secret in your life? Or do you let it slip? Maybe just to someone hoping they'll pass it along. Why would you do that? Only one reason. 
hope people start thinking, oh, they pray a lot. Oh, they give a lot. They're very giving. And when we do, Jesus said, that's the only reward we get. That'll be full payment of your reward. But if you want a reward greater than the praise of men, longer lasting than the praise of men, let it be a secret with God, and your reward will be great for all eternity. That's how much great. Temporal or eternal? How do you want to get paid? In temporal cash or eternal reward? Mercy triumphing over judgment. My dear brother and sister, let this truth be your truth, be your experience. Again, not the ignoring of sin, confronting, but forgiving. That's compassion. That's mercy. Triumphing, overcoming sin in your life. Sin around you in others' lives. And when God's people experience this triumphant grace regularly, daily in their lives, I think of it as in the terms of Romans chapter 5. That we're experiencing that pouring out of the love of God into our hearts. And I think of it like this, as I'm a cup. And when God takes his fresh living water and he pours it into my cup, if I just get a little, it'll be about a quarter full. And I might get a little taste of it. But if I continues to pour into my cup to where my cup overflows into other cups and all around me, others experience it as well. Is God pouring forth his mercy into your life every day. You're taking your cup up to him. And yes, you're the woman. You may not have been caught in adultery. But perhaps you're that scribe and Pharisee and Jesus has just revealed your sin to you. What are you going to do? Walk away? Oh, what do you think would have happened to these guys if they would have fell on their face before Jesus and started confessing their sins before him? And asking for mercy. There would have been an amazing revival. Right? Instead they quickly walk away. Keep their sins hidden. Because Jesus said. Men love darkness rather than light. They weren't willing to come to the light of life. And find mercy. But you and I have that opportunity today. Come experience the light of life. Not only personally. But as that comes and flows into my life every day, I get to share it with my boys, with my wife, with the community, with everyone who comes in contact. They experience the light of life, compassion, and mercy. And you know what happens? Like James says, I become judged by a law of liberty. The truth that sets me free, makes me free indeed. And I walk around as a person no more condemned by the sin of my failures. Because I'm forgiven, I freely forgive. That's Jesus.
in you. Christ in you and in me, the hope of glory. Oh, Father, I come to you and I pray that you would come and you would pour forth that truth into my life in a fresh way again this morning, in a living way, so that it overflows out of my life into those around me. Let me not be a forgetful hearer. Oh, Lord, let me walk in this truth in a more perfect way today. And for the rest of my life, I ask you to continue to perfect it until the day you return and call me home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for leading us to the word this morning. Let's take those words and let them go deep into our hearts and think on them this week. And most of all, let the word go through you and change you into his image. Jason and Laurie, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. It's always a blessing to have you guys serve in that way. And for everybody here that uh, has come out, thank you for coming and joining in worship and praise and seeking God. It's a blessing to be together with believers. So that'll conclude this part of our service, but our fellowship and our physical food is up next, so please do stay and Join us for that. Let's all stand to our feet. The more I looked at it, uh, I realized that if Jesus was saying to me, you get the truth. And as I can see that in my life, you know, I um, was pretty judgmental most of my life. And uh, he helped me to overcome that and get freedom there. Because, you know, it's like we, it's easy to look at someone else and condemn them when actually we ought to be seeing that in our condemning them, we're condemning ourselves. And, and, it, and it's kind of like uh, uh, the devil likes that in our lives, you know, to, to always uh, think we're a little better than someone else. Um, and, and, it, and it's kind of like a, a trap for us. We're not, we're not showing love or mercy, and we're not going to be, you know, there's all everything you said, uh, and, but you know, the, the great thing about it, you know, if anybody struggles with that, um, it, I just want to say that it, 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 it's a terrible way to live. You're missing out. Like I'm, I'm missing out, you know, because you're you're not caring about people. Uh, I don't know. I, I just wanted to share it because I felt like it, it, it's how God helped me to see it. Amen. Thank you. No, it's it's so much easier to uh, apply God's words to other people's lives than our own, right? That's, that is our tendency, and 
and uh, even saw that uh, to a degree, actually to a pretty large degree in, in, in the Pharisees' lives. They, they like to uh, apply the law to everybody else's lives, but yet in their own lives, Jesus said they were, they were serious hypocrites. Steve, do you have something to share yet? said years ago I heard a, a sermon on and it was, the title was Mirrors. Saw the title, that's how it was. And I, I don't remember all of it, but one of the things I do remember is that a lot of times God will bring to people that mirrors yourself. And, and or sometimes people put project them onto you. They see themselves in you, even if it uh, is you or not, that so God reflects one way or another to, uh, of ourselves, and, uh, and and we don't uh, like it. And so sometimes He gets two for one. <laughs> says, "Okay, both of you got, the, or the group of you got the problem. Let's, as a pastor was saying, let's deal with it and repent and move on." bring people in in our lives to uh, to uh, show us uh, our failings and shortcomings sometimes and, and, and often that is by uh, possibly their own their own shortcomings often God brings people into our lives and the problems that we see in their lives are, or that are the most noticeable are uh, actually the problems that uh, we're struggling with the most. And that's, that's a good uh, reminder to, if you, uh, you know, it's, it may not be totally across the board that this happens, but if you see something in somebody's life that is just really bugging you and why are they that way and that's not right, well, perhaps take a look at your own life and see if it's not a problem in, in your own life because quite frequently that is an indicator of that, so. But that's uh, God in his goodness bringing people into our lives to sharpen us and, and uh, point out our own needs. Anyone else yet? I want to cut it short here. If the Lord has put something on your heart, thank you, brothers, for, for sharing. If there's not, I think we will be ready shortly, so let's all stand to our feet. And uh, Papa, do you want to dismiss us with prayer and a blessing on the meal?